Shut up and sit down. The current state of politics is unsustainable. Uh, politically, economically, you know, you still have distrust there. We all come from very different places. Man, we don't want the government to do a damn thing. We deserve better. People have to have the information in front of them. It is about supporting, platforming, and, and assisting the people who are out here actually doing the fight. There you go. Like, just promote people who are doing something. Volunteer to work with people who you like. and Take an issue that's important to you and do something. You are part of that declaration against tyranny. This conversation gives me a little more hope for the future. The one, the only. Fight for liberty. This is the cherry on top. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Fight for Liberty Live. Today, we have an awesome guest for you who I am super excited to bring on up in a few minutes. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about some of our sponsors. First up is Streamlabs Ultra. Uh, if you're looking for a way to create high-quality streams of your own that look kind of like the ones that I'm doing, or however you want them to look, uh, you can go on over to Streamlabs Ultra. There's a link in the description below that will save you uh, $9 off your first month or $10 off your first year, depending on how you do it. Uh, and then you can have all sorts of fun, creative uh, tools at your disposal to go and make your streams look super great. But if streaming isn't your thing, and maybe businesses instead, uh, Craft and Business Services is our newest sponsor, and they're offering a start your business for under $1,000 package. So you get your corp formation, your registered agent, your logo, your collateral, your marketing strategy and accounting consultation, and everything else that you might need to get your business off the ground uh, just for $999 plus uh, applicable state theft. So go on over to crafton.us and check them out. Uh, but without further ado, we have a great guest today. Uh, Gabrielle Cordova is the outreach director for Mike Termot for president, and now she is joining the fight. Welcome to the show, Gabby. Thank you so much for having me, David. So I always like to start off with a super like introductory question, and I kind of already know the answer to this because like I know your parents, but how did you become a libertarian? Yes, so my parents. No, <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I, I like to say, and it is true, uh, my first paycheck. Um, I was, you know, 15 or 16. I actually had to get one of those, um, you know, my parents had to sign off for me to work. So I might've even been like 14, you know, mm. but, um, but yeah, that's my story. Really. I, I got my first paycheck and my dad being not only a libertarian, but an actuary. So, you know, accounting, math, finance, mm -hmm. all that. Um, I went to him and I said, Hey, you know, uh, where, where am I earning? Like I was told I would get this amount. I only see this amount. What's going on. He explained taxes to me and, you know, they say the rest is history, but, uh, but not only that, I grew up just in a very, um, uh, political activism family. My, uh, my dad's dad, my grandfather was the president of his democratic club for like 30 years. Hmm. And my mom's mom, my grandma was the district leader in her, in her district in Brooklyn, uh, as a Republican. So oh, wow. family dinners are always very interesting. Um, my mom growing up a little more Republican, my dad growing up a little more Democrat, but the two of them have just like since have just leaned more libertarian. So I've kind of just grown up 
and that household. Nice. Yeah. Uh, did were they both like born and raised in New York City too? Still. Yes. That's... My dad was uh, born and raised in Queens. My mom in Brooklyn. Well, actually, um, Seaford, Long Island, and then hmm. um, Narsay, and then Brian Beach. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I was like, how do you how do you grow up a Republican in like Brooklyn? Yeah. <laughs> That's hard to do. Yeah. Uh, so how did you get into um, the the kind of like outreach and and uh, publication work that you're doing now? Sure. Yeah. So. Um, okay, yeah, so got my first paycheck, so, you know, go back to there, and then um, I went to college, and there was a Republican club, a Democratic club, uh, but no Libertarian club, and I had actually uh, met someone else who wanted to start a Libertarian club, uh, so became really active in college, and that and Libertarian club there, this was a Hofstra University, and uh, we had John Stossel on campus. So, you know, it, it kind of really started there after college. Um, I met my, my now husband, who is not only a libertarian, but also Jewish. And I was like, yes, let's get married. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, and uh, we found the Queens Libertarians um, and they had, a, they had a meeting at Hooters. We were like, okay, so maybe it's not so serious. Yeah, we weren't really sure what was going on there. Um, but then Larry won uh, ballot access in 2018, mm-hmm. and there was a meeting in the Queens chapter at uh, Mike Arcati, Mike Arcati's house. He lives in Queens, um, and I became the secretary. Not, you know, I can take minutes. Um, I was doing it for my job at the time. I was working for a nonprofit, and um, I was already taking minutes as a board liaison, mm-hmm. so I knew what that was all about. Um, and uh, from there, it kind of just blew up for me. I uh, I joined the state committee for Judicial District 11, mm-hmm. joined the fundraising committee because, again, it's been my career since college, uh, fundraising, um, then became a, a member at large on the executive committee for Libertarian Party of New York. Um, and, uh, and then um, real life hit uh, the pandemic. Mm. And... I, um, the job that I was working for, the nonprofit company I was working for, uh, when the vaccine mandates were coming out, they changed their policy. Um, and I, you know, I was told that I'd be required to get vaccinated and, uh, I refused. Mm -hmm. I said, no, it's my body. I'm willing to take the risk to not get vaccinated. My husband, I want to start a family. I didn't know what any of those risks were. And I felt, you know what, if, I get COVID, God willing, I'll, I'm, I'm healthy and, and active and young mm-hmm. and hopefully I'll be okay. And uh, so I refused and they let me go. This was November, 2021. Okay. Um, and then I got a call from Larry Sharp who said, hey, I want you to come work on my campaign. I told him basically what was going on and and everything and so he called me and I started working for him but um, that was only for about a month and a half or so because that December I went to Boston for an LNC meeting I was mm. volunteering on a Tony DeRazio's campaign uh, his run for chair of right. the Libertarian National Committee so I, uh, I went up to Boston and I met with um, Tara DeSisto who was the development director at the time mm. because just 
to meet with her on like a weekly or bi-weekly basis for advice for the Libertarian Party of New York since I was on the fundraising committee. And um, I then heard that there was an opening hmm. for a stewardship associate for the LNC. Um, so because I, I, don't, I was already meeting with Tara about every week or so, I, I told her, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I told her my circumstance, like, you know, I've been let go of my job, my job and um, libertarians in my blood. It's, it's not only, you know, hmm. fundraising, not only a career for me, but being libertarian, it's, it's who I am. So uh, to be able to work for uh, something I'm super passionate about would be would be awesome. So she said, yeah, you know, interview for it. And uh, that worked out. So I started working for the Libertarian National Committee as a stewardship associate in February of um, was 2022. So February of last year. Mm -hmm. um, and then <laughs> um, Tara, uh, my boss, um, she put in her resignation just a couple of weeks after I was hired. Um, so I reached out to the executive director at this time, um, Tyler Harris, hmm. and I, I said, hey, look, you know, um, being a stewardship associate for the LNC is great. I did take a step back a little bit, you know, in my career because I've just, you know, I've been moving up from a development associate to a, a board liaison, you know, whatever. And, uh, and you know, being a development director is really where I'd like my career to go. And he said, well, like, you know, if you'd, if you've been here a year, absolutely. But you've only here, I was only there, what, a month, so, <laughs> but he said, go for it. And I did. There you and go. And I got it. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, which was really an honor. Um, but <laughs> I got it just a month before convention. And as we know, um, Reno, um, at convention, everything, everything changed. There was a new board, a new, a new leadership. Um, so I, I stuck through it. I was like, look, I'm going to continue doing my job to the best of my ability. Um, but unfortunately, you know, the executive director resigned. It was just one resignation after another. And then it got to a point where uh, November of this past year came around and uh, they let me go, you know. Um, but hey, um, I'm in a good place now, so that's good. There you go. Uh, I will say I have a lot of respect for the fact that you uh, you're like with one of the only people there in those positions that didn't resign and actually like got let go. Like that, I think, like deserves respect because a lot of people were just like assumed that the situation was going to get shitty and just like gave up instantaneously. And I watched you be like, you know, what? let's let's give it a try. You know, worst thing that can happen is they fire me. And, you know, they did. But like, I feel like you at least gave it your all where like a lot of the other people that were in those uh, like paid like staff positions during Reno, they all just kind of threw their hands up and rage quit. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, well, for me, like, again, like, you know, being a, a development director, like, I, you know, that's something they can never take away from me. You mm -hmm. know, it's it's on my resume now. Um, so whatever job I have next, wherever my career leads, I, I have that. And yeah, they, they would have to rip it, <laughs> rip it out of my hand. Again, being a development director, something that's been my career since college and working for the Libertarian Party is just it was icing on the cake and I was like yeah you got to rip this from my hands for me to go anywhere and yeah. they did but but I I continue on you know and I keep working for the for the cause so 
That's awesome. I am very encouraged to see a lot more of my friends turn these types of volunteer like things that they've been doing for a decade or close to it uh, into like actual careers and stuff. I give like uh, Kelsey Lyon a lot of shout outs for the fact that she's able to like make a full business and a successful career out of the things that she's also doing for campaigns and nonprofits and other things that she's like, she could do both and she's doing it very well. And I like to see more and more of my friends doing that. And like when you started getting like actual paid jobs in the movement, I was like, yay, more people. Like, cause <laughs> I'm, sure. I'm, yeah. I hate watching pe good people, like really good people get burnt out by the fact that like their careers are taking, like, cause they're good at what they do. Their careers are taking off and they don't have time to, put in the same volunteer effort that they did or you know kids are getting a little bit older they're you know also just a decade of doing stuff with for no pay and no gratitude kind of wears on somebody mm -hmm. like so many people get burnt out because they're not able to put what they're passionate about into like a long-term goal like like you were with your career yeah for sure and then, yeah, so then, um, so I was, so I was let go of, um, this past November from the LMC, the day after Mike Termot, who I actually met in Reno and, um, very supportive of his run. Cause I knew he was jumping right in. Um, so now it's, you know, a year later and he's, he's still very serious about his campaign. So I met him a year ago and of course I couldn't, you know, couldn't take any sides working for the LNC. You know, I introduced myself. I uh, I went to his table. I said, okay, you know, I'll hear you out. But I couldn't, you know, have an opinion or anything. Mm -hmm. But the day after I was let go from the LNC, he called me and he said, what do I have to do to get you on my campaign? <laughs> and, um, and again, that's his history. Nice. So, yeah. So how do you normally kind of start out that relationship with a campaign or, or a client then kind of figure out how you want to promote them and do the thing? How do you like kind of find that voice that you're then projecting for them? Sure. Yeah. Um, just getting an idea of what, what they stand for, um, what their values are, what their number one issues are. Um, just having a conversation, you know, really a lot of what being a fundraiser is or doing PR, any of that is listening. Um, just listen to whoever it is you're working with or talking to, um, just listen, hear them out, um, get an idea of what their passions are and what's important to them and use that, you know, use that in a, in a PR pitch, use that in a fundraising pitch. Um, and that's really, yeah, that's really, I like out. it. Yeah. Uh, listening is definitely something that not, not too many people are very good at. Especially libertarians. Right. <laughs> I feel like part of that has to do with the fact that we've spent so long like not being listened to at all that we don't really know what it looks like. And you know, it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we and we have that kind of stereotype of being like social outcasts and whatnot. That like a lot of people in the movement just didn't have the experience of having like real conversations with people and building like real human connections ever. And then they're thrust into some position like a county vice chair where it's like, oh, hey, be good at peopling. Yeah, like, <laughs> exactly. What? Yep. I, I became an events director to like two weeks into being a member of the of LP New York. And I'm like, I've never 
planned an event before in my entire life. The <laughs> biggest event I've ever planned has been birthday parties for myself where like six people show up out of the 20 I invite. Like, I am not good yeah. at this. <laughs> this is not something nope. I've had a history with. But, you know, I th- we like to throw people into the deep end uh, and hope that they can swim. And I don't know. I guess I, so, some of us do and, you know, end up working out okay. But we do a lot of damage in the in the interim while people are kind of figuring out how to do it. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. I think my my upbringing plays a huge role in in the positions that I've held, the positions that I have, the position that I have today as an outreach director. Um, my, so besides being libertarians and, you know, my dad being an actuary, very logical thinking. I think that's where, you know, I, and a lot of libertarians are very logical, not so much emotional thinkers. Um, and my mom though, she's a social worker. So she is very, you know, um, Mm. being empathetic and working with people. So I have that balance, which I think has been so helpful with, you know, just, again, being libertarian and, but also being, you know, being that people person at the same time. So, um, you know, I'm not a huge reader. Like I, I've never, okay, I have picked up revolution, <laughs> but I, I did that for my, my poli sci class. I wrote a, a paper on it. Nice. So yeah, again, in college. Yeah. Um, my professor loved that by the way, which I was really excited about. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, having that balance, I think, is is super helpful. There are a lot of people who just they've just read the books and that's it. Like mm-hmm. that's where it stops there, and they have that tunnel vision. And it's important to to hear people out and meet them where they are. So if they have an issue that's really important to them, it's hearing them out and saying, okay, well, you know, I know there's this issue that you have, you know, in politics, and you want it solved. Let's figure out a way to solve it the libertarian way. Right. Versus, you know, Democrat, Republican way, or, yeah. Yeah, I like I like that kind of you know two sides of the coin thing that you're bringing up here. And I also find it fairly interesting and like very counter to the stereotypes that you would hear that your uh, left brought up dad became the logical thinker and your like right wing brought up mom became the social worker. Like that's yeah, kind right? of backwards. <laughs> um, I know, <laughs> but kind of neat. Uh, and I, I feel like I very similarly, my mom is the, uh, the money math person in the family, but she's still the, the people person. My dad's a computer programmer that if he could have put like an iron bar on his office door to where nobody could come in and bother him, he would have done that many, many years ago. Uh, so, uh, my dad was definitely the one that, that raised me to like, uh, you know, you don't, you don't involve the government unless you have to was kind of the thing like you respect the police you respect the irs you respect those people and you do the things that they tell you to do because otherwise they kill you uh but you do as little with them as you possibly can that was basically how i was raised like pay your taxes like a good little boy but like (laughs) as little as possible right and and then i just took it a step further to how about i don't pay my taxes (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah that's a little too much dan berman uh yeah in my life I guess. Yeah. Great though. <laughs> uh, so t- take me through like kind of an average week with, with Mike, like what kind of things are you actually helping him with? Sure. Yeah. So, um, well, we have our, our weekly meetings on Mondays. Um, Mondays, usually my, you know, catch up on emails. What am I going to be getting done this week? 
Um, usually the, I would say nine to middle of the afternoon time, I'm reaching out to media, podcasters, um, really, I, and I've compiled these lists just over the years, working on different campaigns and um, my own contacts and just finding people on Twitter and, and hearing about them. And so reaching out and then afternoons, evenings, that's when I make the fundraising calls. And actually I find, and this is just great advice for anyone, Thursday, Fridays in the early evenings, that's when people pick up their phone. Hmm. Um, and also are a little more willing to give because they've kind of figured out, okay, you know, I've, I've um, you know, paid whatever off during the week. I know what my budget is at this point. I'm going into the weekend. I'm a little more giving now. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, that's really it. It's, you know, I, I try to split up my days as balanced as possible because it's a lot. I'm doing a little fundraising. I'm doing a little PR, um, which is, you know, media, media outreach, podcast outreach. Um, it's a, it's a little bit of everything trying to get Mike, uh, meetings. If he's going to a convention, you know, seeing who we can meet with. Um, and reaching out to local media in those areas. Um, so yeah, it's just it's a little bit of everything. I like it. <laughs> I feel like almost everything that you just said, um, some people that don't know that you exist would just assume that Mike was doing it. Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> as far as, because like, they're all like, they're all somewhat within the candidates scope. And especially if you've only worked on like LP campaigns where there isn't a solid team, like fundraising is almost entirely done by the candidate. Uh, and same with like the PR and like outreach, like you are the only not candidate as far as uh, for the, the presidential debate that we're doing on the 30th. You're the only person right. that's not the candidate that I'm talking to for that. Like oh. everyone else I'm talking yeah. directly to the candidate, not a manager or anything like that. Um, so I, I think it, in my experience, it enables the candidate to look more like superhuman if they have an actually good team behind them. And like, I, I got a lot of questions like when I worked for Tulsi Gabbard, it was like, how is she doing all of this? And it's like, she's not, she's just <laughs> right. showing up and talking. She just has the right. same 45 minute speech rehearse that she gives six times a day. And that's literally all she does. We do the rest of it. like. Uh, her, her like scheduling person is one of the most hands-on people I've ever worked with. Like you could not sneak anything past her at all. And like Tulsi wouldn't let you, like she was one of the most principled, like, I'm not even going to talk to you about my schedule. I don't know what I'm doing in two hours. Talk to right. my, my, it's actually yeah. her like mother-in-law, uh, was the person in that job. It was like, talk to my mother-in-law. Like, I don't know. And it was, yeah. <laughs> it was great because I've worked with so many candidates who will answer those questions even though they don't know the answer. And then I get like double booked people and stuff oh, no, like that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it's nice to have like an actual breakdown of the duties to where the candidate can focus on just talking. Um, I think it yeah. was uh, Danny Lundy I had on the show like two or three weeks ago and he's a campaign manager and was talking about how the candidates only jobs should be asking for votes and asking for money and that's yeah. it like if they're doing anything beyond that the campaign manager is not doing their job right <laughs> yeah and this is something that you know um, our team has talked to mike about but really this is advice for any candidate um you can easily sell your campaign team because they're the ones behind the scenes doing the work but in the end you've got to sell yourself you know, people aren't going to donate to you because you've got it. Oh, maybe they will donate to you because you have a great campaign. Like maybe people will donate to Mike because I'm on his team. I don't know. But in the end, 
you donate because you believe in the candidate, you believe in that front facing person. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. He's uh he's definitely going to fare well in the in the debate because one of the things that I want to talk about is kind of that like preparedness because I I know a lot of people uh that uh it's not going to be about like uh the who should I vote for? It's like, who should I volunteer for? Is kind of the answer I'm trying to, or the question I'm trying to answer with it. Uh, because it's like, who has their shit together enough to where me giving 10 hours a week is actually going to go somewhere instead of just like floundering in planning meetings and hoping that maybe I get a random task here or there because n there's no hierarchy set up. There's no way to actually like bring in volunteers. I've worked on way too many campaigns where they're like asking for volunteers on social media constantly. And then I sign up mm -hmm. and then no one reaches out at all. Yeah. They just don't even yeah. have somebody whose job it is to reach out to uh, the candidate or to, to new volunteers. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think that's great. <laughs> I think um, it's important that, you know, candidates have a way for people to volunteer or can answer those questions of like, hey, you know, I want to work in your campaign, but I don't even know where to start, like, mm -hmm. you know? So I think that, I think that's really great that yeah. you're going to be having that, that not so, so I guess it just won't be so much a debate, more of a, let's have a conversation like a, on how to get people on your team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely want to go more like forum style because I'm not, I'm not a good debate moderator necessarily, like, uh, especially not a multi-person like that. I can keep two people at bay, but like, there's going to be five, I think, because um, it's not even just LP. I have an independent and a Republican coming as well. Nice. So it'll be yeah. it'll be kind of fun. Um, yeah, sure. But enough about that. Let's <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I definitely want to talk about like how how campaigns can better find people like you to help them out and like break out those those jobs that you do because I, I feel like for a candidate to let go of some of that can be very difficult especially if they don't have like a campaign manager in the middle saying like you have to let go of these and like are giving tasks to somebody else so like how would you suggest a candidate uh like reach out to somebody and and ask for help on say like the booking and kind of scheduling management side of things um, well, so you actually, you kind of answered the question, you mentioned a campaign manager or like someone or some sort of a campaign director. And I think that's a good start. Uh, it could just be some, someone you trust, someone you're close to. When I was um, working on Tony Durazzo's campaign and I kind of ended up becoming his campaign manager just because we were good friends. We were on the executive committee together of LPNY. So it kind of just went from there. It's like, okay, who do we know who's good at setting up events, uh, good at PR, uh, you know, so it's, I think it's just finding people who you know, finding people you trust, someone you trust with your calendar, scheduling those events, uh, someone you trust, you know, making those phone calls on your, on your behalf. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's just finding people within your network, having that conversation, and then seeing who they know, who, who has certain skill sets, and kind of going from there. I like it. Yeah, I think trust, yeah. trust is a really important piece of that that not a not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot of in the movement all the time uh <laughs> and you know it's because it, it really to be good at at the job you have to have like their whole schedule because you know i actually just had a thing yesterday where i booked somebody for something and then now i'm gonna have to figure out how to get the other guests to like rebook it because there was a doctor's appointment there that wasn't on the like official calendar 
because they're you know you, you know they don't need to know what I'm going where I'm going to the doctor or whatever but like you do like you need this person to know every yeah. movement you're going to make for the next nine months yeah. and it's kind of a it's a hurdle so you'd have to be able to trust them and know that they're not Absolutely. gonna screw you over or, or give you too much or give you not enough and yeah. That's another like balance you have to weigh because I know a lot of people that uh, if they can go from one interview to another, they'll be they'll prefer that. If they never have to like step out of interview mode, they can do three four hours worth of interviews back to back to back to back. And if you okay. give them five minutes in between those interviews, they're gonna like sit down and and like crack a, a beer or something like that or smoke a joint and like completely yeah. get out of the mode and that next interview is going to be terrible sure. and then other people it's like i need an hour to cool down and prep for the next one because it's going to be different questions and it's a different person i have to get like and you have to figure yeah. that yeah. out but like <laughs> yeah, from exactly. each campaign you work on you have to figure out like is this yeah. one of those people or one of these people and it's a it's a struggle for sure yeah but it's something you learn over time uh you know working for for Mike versus working for Larry, it's you know you kind of you you accom you accommodate for them, you, you adjust, um, you know based on what they like. You know Mike's Mike liked he liked to write down his calendar. I was like, no, we need like a, <laughs> you know we need we need a digital can we need a digital calendar. Mm -hmm. um, and are you like you know to write everything down? We need something we can compare everything on. And with Larry, it was like, yeah, here's my calendar, and you're just have everything on there. Um, so it's just, you know, learning what their likes and dislikes are and uh, and getting behind that and just being flexible. Mm. You know, that's really it. Um, I was gonna comment on something else you mentioned. Maybe it'll come back to me. <laughs> uh, I, I wanna ask you about the, specifically about that calendar because I, I have struggled in the past to try to get somebody from a, a physical calendar to a digital one. And mm. like even myself personally, while I'm having those arguments, I still have a physical calendar for myself. So like, I get it. Uh, there's something about like, it's the same as like taking notes, I think, where it's like something about like writing it down, like solidifies it in my head a lot better. Totally. You uh, remember it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how, how did you, how did you get him to switch over? And was that act, uh, like a big struggle or, or just a couple of conversations? No, it was just it was just a couple of conversations. I told him, look, you know, I, I hate having to like text you or call you every single time I want to schedule. And now, you know, things are picking up. We're doing like two, three podcasts a week, and it's just it'd be easier if we had something digital. And we're like, oh, all right, you know. <laughs> um, but um, but uh, yeah, no, we were able to get something that works for the whole team, and uh, and it just, it's it's important either way to keep communication open. Like I'll still text him and be like, hey, I scheduled this. I'll email it to him and I'll put on his calendar just to make sure that like everything's on the same page, um, and that's also like high high priority. Be organized, <laughs> and it it does help that that's something that I you know again having an, an actuary father um, having ledgers you know <laughs> from the bank and things like that i still do it i don't use any of those like mint apps or whatever i i write everything down um nice. and like you I, I also have a physical calendar um i actually i have one because i went to my with my cousin to like five below or something and i found a cute one and i was like all right fine i'll do it this year <laughs> but next year i probably won't and maybe the year after i will who knows but uh yeah just keeping everything in, in one place um being organized and uh, yeah, eventually you say, look, we got we got to do something that works for for everyone on the team. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, eventually you can you'll get them there. 
I like that. Uh, yeah. yeah, being organized is a is a struggle, and I think uh, just like to to the audience, real quick, like if if you know whether or not you're organized, you might be able to present as organized to other people, uh, but you know whether or not you're fake, you're doing the like fake it till you make it kind of thing, or if you're actually somebody that is on top of those types of things, and do not take a campaign position where you have to be organized if you know that you can't like if you're just barely keeping your current daily schedule together and like yourself together you can't keep a camp together so like if you watched the episode a couple weeks ago with danny and you heard him say that and you're like oh that instantly disqualifies me this is your loophole you bring on somebody else who actually is organized and if you can do the rest of the campaign manager stuff, you've got the ideas behind everything and you've got the people skills, that's great. Just make sure you have backup. There's got to be somebody on the team that is going to actually make sure that the trains run on time. Yeah, I don't know. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, you know, I find candidates are mo the most unorganized. Like they are good, you know, they're good speakers. They're good, you know, getting out there and talking to people, but they are not organized. So, so yes, it's important they have an, or an organized team. Of organized people <laughs> yeah i um i was the deputy campaign manager for uh stacy pressman for mayor of new york city and uh i would not have gotten anything done like like was done if i didn't have Artie sintef as a second yeah. like uh deputy campaign manager him and i worked very well together because he is a trains run on time person and i know that i am not and we got brought on uh, pretty much at the same time. And we had that conversation very early on. And he was like, okay, no tasks go in your bucket that have to do with keeping things organized. None. Yeah. So I was just like the fireman who was running around doing whatever has yeah. been to pop up because that was stressful to him. He couldn't like derail his whole day to put out a fire because then the trains wouldn't run on time. So it was, it was a great kind of division of labor. But like, yeah, you have to make sure that there's somebody there because like Paul Grindle was the actual campaign manager. Love the guy, but he's also not organized. <laughs> like we needed somebody and Artie was the man for sure. There you go. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's so important. Um, so, yeah, if it's not, you know, if it's not the candidate running those meetings, you know, going through the list of to do's, it's the campaign manager, the campaign director um you know it, but it is it's very important to have someone who who's keeping everything on track mm -hmm. um for sure yeah <laughs> yeah otherwise way too many things slip through the cracks and you don't realize how many things there are to slip through the cracks until they're doing it <laughs> and it's yeah. like oh wait there's like all of this stuff going on for sure. um how do you find uh like media things for for mike to do so so a list was compiled before I started. Um, he had someone else on the team um, com compile a list of just, I think he searched keywords, libertarian keywords and pulled up articles, uh, people who had written articles, whether they mentioned libertarian or, or any or any of those keywords. Um, so I have a, a whole list that I go through from different states. Um, you know, I have that Google alert going. So if I see an article comes out and Mike's name is mentioned, I'll reach out to that author and say, hey, would you like to, to do a feature on him? Um, so it's just, it's keeping an eye out for everything and anything that could pop up and then reaching out to, to those reporters and saying, hey, you know, he'll be in the state this weekend or, you know, we'd love to do a feature on him. Would you like to interview him? But yeah. How 
uh what's like the your batting average there how often do you get like positive responses oh so it's tough because it's still early Mm. elections aren't really on you know the national news's mind it's not really the narrative right now Mm -hmm. um however things like police brutality the banks and financial system you know things like that that do pop up in the news and are on people's minds i'll reach out to news media and say hey I have a candidate here who who's an economist who you know worked in the police force would you like to interview him um and sometimes yeah there'll, there'll be people be like yeah you know i i want to interview him just because he has that experience not necessarily because he's running for you know the presidential nomination in 2024. Mm-hmm. um so but again because it's you know being a libertarian though you're not going to get too many media outlets want to be like yeah i'll interview a libertarian but you will get a few here and there who want to interview him just because he has that that background and experience. So my batting average, though, <laughs> I don't know. Again, it's it's still early. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say though, as far as um, podcasts go, libertarian podcasts, I think more and more people who are seeing him on a you know Larry's forum and seeing him out there at conventions are going, yeah, you know, we we want him, we want to interview him. So I think within the libertarian sphere. Um, things are going really well. Um, we're in a good place and I think it can only grow from here. Um, obviously there are people who are still waiting. They're still waiting for, for their guy, um, and whoever that is, but, uh, you know, we'll see really time will tell, but, uh, for now we just, we keep pushing. And again, Mike is, is extremely serious and, uh, we're going to, you know, take it all the way to next year, which I cannot believe we're already a year out from a convention next year. Yeah. Yeah. and on. This one's snuck up on me like yeah <laughs> i can't believe it's already mid-may it doesn't I know, sound right what? at all <laughs> i'm like seeing things pop up in my like last year's memories that i'm like that was just a couple months ago what do you mean yeah uh, totally yeah um i you, i like that you I, I love that you brought up the like other things besides him being a candidate that can get him media because i think that's one of the that's one of the things that I look for in a candidate if I'm deciding whether or not I'm going to work for them is like, do you have relevant experience somewhere? Because, uh, you know, like even like like Chase has some some good, solid, relevant experience with like running uh, like transportation companies and some of the other work that he's done in the past. He's had to kind of do things in a very similar to like an executive position job uh, mm-hmm. but but not quite as like catchy as like oh a cop is going to talk about c- police brutality right. like the, there's like certain things that you can tell beforehand that like this might actually be able to get you some media attention above and beyond the fact that you're just running for a race that no one wants you to win because uh, like right. once it actually matters that he's running for president if he actually becomes like successful at all and like a, a real threat to to biden and trump sure. he's not going to get that media anymore so you right. have to like you have to know that like they're not really going to get media for being a candidate how are they actually going to be able to get media and i think you hit the nail on the head there yeah for sure yeah thank you oh. um yeah i mean 
you know, like I said, we'll see what happens. Um, Chase is a great team. Mike is a great team. I love, you know, I call my coworkers, my colleagues. Um, I really enjoy our, our weekly meetings because working remote, you know, this is the chance for me to see other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I do get opportunities around here. And now, you know, my husband and I live in uh, Tampa, Florida. We, uh, we reaffiliated Hillsborough County. So, um, and of course, I'm secretary <laughs> and Eric is vice, vice chair. Um, but, uh, you know, we get to see other libertarians, other faces, but it's always nice to, to you know, be in the sphere and, and see other people. <laughs> some things change and some things stay the same. Huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> new state, new county, same position. Same, I love yeah, it. same thing. I know. I was like, well, I've been doing this before. So, you know, do it again. I don't know. I used to pick on my mom a lot uh, growing up because she was the treasurer for pretty much every single thing that we did like she was the treasurer for the women's program at the church she was the treasurer for my boy scout troop my sister's girl scout troop like the wednesday night program like everything her her like uh aol username when that was still a thing was like treasurer for all because like she was just like everything's treasure it's like yeah and now i'll like i've talked to her a couple times about possibly being like a campaign treasurer and she's like Mm, nah <laughs> yeah oh gosh those filings yeah no <laughs> i think no. the be- the like i might be able to convince her if i find like a local like town board race where yeah, there's yeah. no state or higher uh like bureaucracies oh, no. to deal with but yeah. i don't know the fac is not the worst i feel like so uh some people some states have a lot harder time running for like state house or state senate than they would for congress because the fec at least is like works in like off of 1990s computer technology instead of like zero computer (laughs) technology right right and i think there's still some states where you have to do like physical like written like forms that you need to submit like hard copies of forms to the gosh no thanks Oh man, no. And, uh, you know, one of my close friends, Laura Newell, she was the treasurer of the Libertarian Party of New York, and she would just, you know, share all her, all her grievance with me. And of course, now Cody Anderson has taken over. But, uh, you know, oh, it's like, he? if you know it, you know, he did. Yeah, I believe. Huh. Yeah, he's the, the tre- yeah, this was the, their election, um, you know, this past year, which, of course, you know, we knew we were moving. So we didn't, we didn't jump back onto the board. But, uh, uh yeah i mean it's it's not easy it's not yeah. fun <laughs> yeah. i i do not envy any of those people there's no. a there's no. a reason that i resigned from the state committee and have not sought higher office within it it's like yeah. mm. that's been my my like message to a lot of people that like want to do activism and they think that politics is the only version of activism and it's mm-hmm. like no, you can do so many other things that involve so much less paperwork. Like, yeah. <laughs> like if you don't want to do the paperwork, don't get into politics. Like, no, go no, no, just no. start. Like, a 501c3 is less paperwork than a campaign is. Like, oh just, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, there's, yeah, there's animal shelter. That's something, you know, something else I grew up. And I think that kind of threw me into the nonprofit world, too, is I just, I grew up you know, volunteering at animal shelters and um, doing just a lot of a lot of volunteer work. My uh, my grandma, who is actually the Republican of her of her district, the mm-hmm. district leader, um, she would go to go to houses and teach, you know, disabled children. And like mm-hmm. she would do it for like, you know, and she was retired at the time. So it was either volunteer or, 
um, you know, low pay, but she would do it just out of the kindness of her heart. And I think that kind of got me into like nonprofit too. Is like, what can I be passionate about? I mean, what am I, what am I passionate about that I can, you know, can help fundraise? And uh, yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. There's, there's like so many of those like corny quotes about like, you know, do what you want, love and you'll never work a day in your life. And I don't agree with those quotes at all because you still have to work. Even if you're super passionate about it, there are days that you don't want to work and you, and it yeah. still feels like work. And there's like no, no job is entirely fun. But if you can at least go home and say like, I made the world a better place today by doing it instead of like, I made Walmart some extra money today like it's it's a much better feeling at the end of the day hey i have some really nice conversations with so they, they have people who bag okay this is a, a little bit of florida speaking but they have people who bag your groceries at Publix, and i know this is not existent in new york anymore nope. <laughs> but i have some really nice conversations with them and i'm like you know thank you for, and they don't take tips you know so mm -hmm. uh but uh you know you never know you never know who you'll meet but uh i think i think it's true. I mean, you can find the uh, the passion in any any work you do if you know you really do love what you do. But there, are, yeah, there are times where it can be frustrating, or you know, you're like, oh, I really have to do this again tomorrow, you know. But uh, but I think there's a little bit of truth in it. But I do I do agree that there are some times where like, yeah, you're not gonna love it, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think uh, too much of our generation kind of got sold on the idea that like there was a possibility of living an adult life where you didn't like hate anything yeah. and and you were just like happy all the time because you got that degree that you wanted and that job that you wanted and you make six figures and you're just good. And I don't know anyone that grew up to live that life. Like not a single person is like, yeah, no, my job is great. My boss is a super awesome human that just like appreciates me and I feel like I'm paid enough and like my my wife is like always like super encouraging and like my kids are super well behaved and like it's just it's not a real life no no it's not no it's true um so yeah uh, so tell me a little bit about um the fundraising that you've been doing, not just for, for Mike, but I'm kind of like broadly through the whole career. How, how have you found, uh, actually, I guess the, my main question is, have you found that raising lots of small donations or a few large donations has netted you a, more donations in the long run? So, okay. So, um, so definitely the monthly because you know, and, and this is actually um, conversations that I have with Larry, Larry Sharp a lot. And, you know, he's, he has that sales background. Mm -hmm. So this is something that I've learned just in my career in fundraising, but also talking to Larry, um, is that those small donations monthly, they add up. And, um, and someone, you know, someone who's giving five bucks a month, that's a cup of coffee that they're not missing. Mm -hmm. So, and again, I feel like I just quoted Larry there, but um but, but it's true, um, you know, someone's giving $15, $25 a month and they're giving and they've just kind of forgotten about it. Mm -hmm. That's gonna make more of an impact than someone who gives, let's say $5,000 one time and will never give again. Um, so definitely those those monthly donations, they, they do make more of an impact. Um, if you're able to get, you know, that, that maximum, you know, individual contribution limit uh, from an individual for a year, then, you know, that's great. Um, the more of those, the better, but, you know, it's much, it's, it is easier 
trying to get the, that monthly commitment someone to give monthly and yeah it does uh, it does make an impact long run awesome yeah, yeah i've i've heard the a kind of a very long debate about the the kind of two different I mean, I think you 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 end up having to do both and to do to be a a good candidate. But I've okay. I've talked to some candidates that are, uh, you know, I've like interviewed for like a fundraising position, and they're talking about like I want to plan events and and all these things, and like the only things in their head are like whales, and like they just want to go whale hunting for fundraising, and it's like I don't I don't know if that's a good strategy. <laughs> But I've also seen way too many libertarian campaigns fail because there wasn't a single whale in their fundraising pocket. And, you know, all they're doing is milking a bunch of extremely broke libertarians for that, like, couple bucks a month that they can give. And then, uh, you know, they fall on hard times and start canceling donations. And then you have nowhere to go from there. So I've I've seen both sides of it end up kind of being true. And I've heard a lot of people argue about whether or not like one strategy over the other but i i do think that the smaller donations can uh can be looked down on a lot and you know there's plenty of campaigns that have shown that you could do a lot with that like even bernie sanders like yeah like his average donation was in the like somewhere in the mid-20s something Mm -hmm. like that for his 2020 race and like he raised millions of dollars still with that average donation staying as low as it was sure yeah no, you want you want to find a, a good balance between those who are who are able to give monthly and then those those heavy hitters who are able to give you you know the the limit or um, yeah or, or more than that that minimum donation a month. Uh, so for sure, yeah. Um, and Bernie, yeah, I mean he and actually my my sister was probably one of those people who's giving him <laughs> monthly a lot. Yeah, but a lot of like the college kids, you know, kids who. Mm-hmm it's five dollars a month is nothing you know five ten fifteen but uh yeah you can do a lot with that if you have if you have a lot of people willing to give um even just that much a month it really does make an impact but it, but like i said you do want to find a balance you do want to find some of those those people who are willing to give more and um people who are willing to give less but monthly yeah how do you think we can bring more whales into the liberty movement oh that is a good question um gosh i think i'm gonna go back to what i I mentioned before listening (laughs) you know finding their issue you know the issue that they care about um and 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 hear them out and say well you know this is how the libertarian party can solve that problem Mm -hmm. um and we have we have you know some big names out there we've got our you know our, our justin amash our larry sharp you know and just you know let them know that there are people out there fighting the fight, right? And mm-hmm. um, and this is how they would solve the problem that you're passionate about, that you care about. You know, give me an issue and let's let's talk about it. Um, and uh, you know, can, candidates they've given to, and um, you know, it all it all starts with a phone call. You know, and you know, I've I've said this a few times, and especially these days because um, I'm hearing a lot of things about data and data-based issues and that being the reason that people can't fundraise and in the end um data doesn't fundraise people fundraise Mm. so it's all about just picking up the phone having a conversation listening 
talking about issues that matter um, to whoever it is you're talking to. And if they can't think of an issue, bring up an issue, say, well, what about inflation? And have a conversation. And, you know, people, a lot of people, you know, they're libertarian and they don't realize it, mm -hmm. you know, or there's just some, something that, you know, there's some way they think about a certain topic or certain issue that's libertarian and they just don't know it yet. Yeah. So, you know, there is a way to, to pull out of them just by having that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think that, uh, one of the things that the Liberty movement does wrong is that we, we have a kind of like all or nothing approach to a lot of it. Like you, you're either libertarian or you're not. And we don't give a lot of wiggle room for those people that are maybe just libertarian on a single issue, and that is it. And they are terrible, awful, neocon Nazi statists yeah. on everything yeah. else. But if you're going to give me a $5,000 donation to help us end the war on drugs, then let's go. You know, and, and there really isn't a lot of space for people like that. We don't have, like, the, the single issue, like uh, – nonprofits that the democratic and republican parties do you know we don't have like an uh, we have a couple of gun organizations but that's about the only issue that we have like some really solid uh things and you know there's like normal and a couple of other like of these uh things but they've kind of gotten taken over by the duopoly and become stagnant kind of like the nra and like other organizations like that and they just kind of funnel into the duopoly we don't really have a lot of ways for people to give outside of campaigns and mm -hmm. even that it's like i'm i might not support your campaign or i don't want to throw away money to a losing candidate and i you know the only way that mike termont helps end the war on drugs is if he actually wins the presidency at mm -hmm. this point you know uh where if there was a an organization in his area that he was working on to like uh, go where he was going from police precinct to police precinct talking to people about like why they should just look the other way and not prosecute and not arrest people for this kind of thing like that would be something not to criticize Mike's run for president no. at all but like there's I think we there's like a window there for uh, like single issue uh, stuff that we just don't do at all mm -hmm. and then you know we'll take even like a um i'm gonna space on the dude's first name uh something pen the like c comedian that was kind of libertarian there for a while um, um yeah, yeah, yeah what wait, like the pen and teller guys? yeah yeah but the pen but yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh yeah. like he was a libertarian and called himself a libertarian and like a big l libertarian for a while and now he isn't anymore and I'm not really sure what happened, but that was probably somebody that could have been brought into the movement a little bit stronger, given uh, a couple of like speaking spots at conventions and like made enough friends and like connections to actually keep him in a movement. But instead was just somebody that kind of ideologically agreed with us on a couple of issues for a few years and said that on Bill Maher a few times. And that was all he really did for the movement in the long run. Same with like... Um, Wow, I'm really spacing on names right now. Um, uh, the like Hispanic dude from Grown Ups, um, who's like uh, tweeting about oh, like yes. the Mises Institute yes. co constantly, but I've never yeah. seen him like at an event or endorse anybody or like really do anything like that. I don't know. I I would love to bring those kind of people in further, and I just don't know how. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. And they're, they're out there. You know, I, I have a list that goes back to, gosh, maybe 
10 years ago now at this point of just people who have expressed some sort of interest in the Libertarian Party. And these are people like Raven Simone, Melissa Joan Hart. At some point or another, they mentioned an interest or that they were Libertarian. And I just compiled this list because well, when I became secretary of the Libertarian Party of Queens, um, I was like, hey, maybe we'll have some of these guys on as speakers or, you know, whatever. But, um, but I think that was... Um, that was really around like the you know presidential presidential years where people felt comfortable kind of siding with you know a third party mm -hmm. um we might see that again next year you know you never know people people come out of nowhere and go hey you know i think i think kanye west at one point <laughs> like you know i don't even know but uh you know you really never know um and again it, it could be just a single issue you know mm -hmm. and if, if someone's out there you know um promoting their their values and the, their issues and, and solving in a libertarian way and someone goes oh wow i never thought of it like that but it makes a lot of sense they're hooked and you got them and you know and they'll back that that candidate and that person till the end so yeah. you know you never know yeah people yeah. people are a lot more loyal than i think people like most people expect them to be and it's once you have them hooked they'll stay they'll like stick around for a lot longer but we don't like really hook people in and <laughs> one of the best ways that we hook people in is like with personal drama which works uh like subjectively like in the the for what we're talking about because like people stick around because they have friends and we're small enough of like a social circle okay. to where that works but it won't work for long and it doesn't work for very many people and it takes you a little while to really get into that circle and you have to be like somebody that actually likes people which is not necessarily our target demographic right. either <laughs> right. um, yeah no it's true yeah i think like yeah. even like uh like john stossel kind of uh bothers me a little bit just the fact that he's like so libertarian and has been for so long and has mm -hmm. been all but like ostracized by the party and the movement because nobody like he was on Fox News for too long and everybody just said like, ah, he's just one of them. And like, I don't know, he should be he should have a, a position within like LP Manhattan. If, if you ask me, like he should be yeah, at those meetings. Why like, why isn't he why like not? coming? Like he, we should we could probably hook him if only somebody knew his like executive assistant or something. I know. Yeah, I mean, my my view has always been you can be as Democrat or Republican as you want, as long as you don't force your beliefs on me. And that's mm -hmm. just that's how I am as a libertarian. But you will have some people who are like, no, if you, you know, you weren't born libertarian or you didn't read, you know, Rothbard or whatever, you're not libertarian enough. And it's like, yeah. no, I, you know, I think that's something that's so great about our party is that, you know, we're just we're open to everyone and anyone and mm -hmm. at least you know we should be but that's you know my view yeah <laughs> yeah uh yeah i mean like i was brought into the party i was most like i was probably i'd say like 60 percent libertarian when i first joined the party but i only got brought in on two issues like gary johnson was the only candidate that offered both guns and drugs there you go that's that's all it took for me to to join the party i still was um not like pro border wall like i thought that was dumb but i was still like somewhat pro like i, I was still a nationalist let me put it that way when i joined the party like i was still 
a like American supremacist, for lack of a better word, of like, you know, we're the greatest country in the world and our founding fathers are the greatest thing ever. And like I joined the LP as like a this is the culmination of true patriotic American politics is the LP. And then fast forward like five years and I'm like the Constitution is unconstitutional in and of itself and a violation to the Articles of Confederation. And like (laughs) George Washington was a tyrant and like a whole lot of learning since then but like uh but yeah we have to be able to like bring those people in and like i mentioned i was given party positions i was like my county contact up here in oswego county and then when i moved to the city i was given instantly uh, a job in the manhattan party still as a nationalist still as like a i thought we should have uh decidedly won the korean war and like nuked china because like then the like Vietnam wouldn't have happened and we wouldn't be okay. having all these other problems. Like I yeah, was, yeah, I yeah. saw all of those terrible neocon opinions while I was running for New York city council uh, right. as a libertarian. <laughs> and or, like just before that, like a lot of those got broken down in the months that I was running in the primary for um, uh, public advocate against Devin mm-hmm. Falcon, like oh. debating Devin actually like broke me down a lot into like, admitting that i wasn't a a good libertarian yet Uh, (laughs) and like not the public debates but him and i had a lot of like private arguments like at the brooklyn meetings and stuff like that where he was like no like freedom of movement is important and like open borders is libertarianism and i'm like huh okay but i i don't know i think that uh something that candidates have uh a unique ability to do is in kind of the like the media stuff that we were talking about earlier when you cast Mm -hmm. as wide of a net as you are talking about casting you have Mm -hmm. that ability to maybe find out that there's some journalists that are libertarians and just don't know it yet yeah and and the people reading those things who are not listening to anything from any of the rest of us but they read this one blogger or whatever that you you happen to be able to get in on like uh you i think candidates talk to libertarians too much <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and doing the not that is yeah. uh is how we actually get more libertarians well which which i get too though i mean especially you know next year being convention and you know you want to make good with the delegates um but and this is something that we're constantly talking about in our campaign and you know, I think really any candidate should be talking about within their campaign is, you know, are we, are you know, are we focusing on just who the delegates might be because it's important to win the nomination? You know, should we be talking to only libertarians? Should we only be on, you know, the libertarian podcast or whatever? Or should we be reaching out to the wider audience mm-hmm. so that, you know, once we do win the nomination, our message is out there and people know who we are. Um, so I think it's important that there be a a good balance, um, this way, you know, you're ready to hit the ground running once uh, that nomination is won. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, once, uh, if, you know, if you do, you know, when you do get elected, um, and not just, you know, in a presidential campaign, but any campaign, um, you know, if it's a super local election and we do have libertarians out there who have been elected, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's making sure people really know who you are and, and what you stand for. Uh, and, and that's really important. Yeah. So I think this far out from convention, uh, you still have the ability to 
talk to a non-libertarian, make them a libertarian, have them join the party, and then be a delegate. Like we're Absolutely. still we're still far enough out from convention to where that's a logical timeline. So I feel like uh, most campaigns that I've seen, and not just this year, but like most years, they start off talking to libertarians and then and then start to branch out to a wider audience. And it almost makes more sense to do it vice versa. The last three months before convention, sure, just talk to the people who are the delegates because most of them are already decided by then. And like, you know, you need that nomination. But before that, you can go almost like Mises takeover style and be like, join the party, become a delegate and then vote for me and win it that way possibly and i feel like if if there was a giant influx uh like even just let's say in new york for example if we noticed 10 new members that all joined because because mike's campaign reached like brought them into the party me as a likely delegate to dc from new york is going to see that and my vote for Mike is going to be fairly highly likely at that point because like I've never, I've never had somebody join the party this far out from an election saying that they were brought in by a candidate. It's always like post the general election that that stuff actually happens. So like if I saw any candidate actually actively bringing people in, I'd be like, okay, awesome. This is our guy. So it's kind of like has a, has a two pronged approach. If you, if you do it right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) Yeah, you really never know, but that that's a huge plus. Yeah, absolutely. If you're in New York and you're like, these who are these people? Like, and how did how did you join the party? Oh, you know, I spoke to to Mike Termot or whomever, and uh, you know, they spoke to me about this issue, and it really it really hit me. It really got to me that this could be solved in a libertarian way, and here I am. I go, oh wow, you know, it it goes to show that that candidate is really influential and can make an impact even outside the libertarian you know the little sphere. So. Yeah. Because at the end yeah. of the day, like we still only make up two, three percent of the voting population. Uh, you know, we I love all of those like most people are libertarians and just don't know it yet kind of rhetoric. But like most people that vote are not. <laughs> like most right. people that vote right. are are decidedly <laughs> in a party, yep. and those people you have to be able to get to like actually break off and. That's yeah. a that's a whole different argument than just being like I'm better than this guy. It's sure. like you need to abandon your family, your upbringing, your entire like worldview, and yeah. and go do this other thing. That's sure. that's a hurdle for people. Yeah, yeah. I Good was day. I was lucky to be brought up in like an independent house where it's like we don't vote based on party. We vote like mm. based on like my I've never seen my parents vote for somebody that wasn't on the Republican line. But I've also never seen them vote for well until I joined the party. Like they voted like uh, Johnson and uh, Joe and Larry, but everybody else has been the Republican. But they'll check the box on the conservative or independence line. Yeah, like that's kind of how I was brought up. It's like that. Like yeah. we're we're decidedly right wing conservatives, but we're not Republicans, and right. so I didn't have to jump that hurdle. But so most of my friends that I assumed would just like come right on behind me, like all my childhood friends grew up the same way I did. We almost all started smoking weed around the same time. We all grew up around guns. It's like, like, let's go. This is the guns and drugs party. And they're like, oh, no, we're Republicans. Right. And it's like, <laughs> oh, I thought I thought we were the same here, but I yeah. guess not. And it's and it's just that title that we have to break people out of. That's it. Yeah. But, yeah. 
So for somebody that's watching this and they're like, you know, I'm a detail oriented person and I'm like actually pretty good at like reaching out to people and like everything Gabby said so far sounds like something I would love doing, but I don't know if I really should do it or like how to do it. Um, give me like a couple of like the key skill sets that you think somebody should definitely have before they like try to reach out and apply for a job like this. Sure. Um, the ability to pick up the phone and have a conversation on the phone. I know a lot of people would rather stick to, to email or texting, um, but it's important to know how to, how to, how to have a conversation over the phone uh, and willing to, to pick it up and dial a number and, and uh, talk to someone. Because again, a lot of the times um, you're talking to either delegates or donors, whoever it is, media, you know, on behalf of the candidate. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, being able to do that um, yeah, you mentioned being detail oriented, being organized, um, you know, know how to use the basics word Excel, I think is, is super helpful. Um, my, within my career, I've, I've learned how to use different, um, databases, donor databases. Um, so that can be helpful. I think more so if you're fundraising, um, but just, you know, make sure you're keeping everything organized, make sure, you know, like if you did, if you have reached out to a, a media, uh, a media outlet, you know, when you when you reached out how you reached out whether is it, whether it was by phone or email mm. um and just you know keeping keeping note of what you've booked um yeah and just you know you know, make sure you you have a way to keep track of all of that um and then just i would reach out to to someone who's running locally it's always good to start there um you know if you want to start small especially so you're not you know putting too many eggs in your basket at once because if you want to reach out to someone who's running in your state or nationally you know it's 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 a lot mm -hmm. um you know they're they're traveling the country or they're traveling the state um but you know start out locally start out within your own your own county even and there i know there are county elections this year so yeah. um you know that's a good good place to start um or you can even start out, you know, some of your friends, like I said, um, I was working for, uh, Tony Durazzi, I was volunteering for his campaign and he was just running for chair of LMC and yeah, that's national, but you know, it was, it was a friend who, you know, I was easily able to, to, you know, get a, get my feet wet and working for a, a mm -hmm. campaign. Um, and then, like I said, then it was Larry, which is state and now Mike, which is national. So, um, there are, they are different. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so that's why I recommend, yeah, starting small or start just within your, your friend group and whatever political party you're in, you know, um, start within your, your friend group and, and work your way from there. I like, yeah. I like that, uh, you specifically mentioned like keeping track of the results of the contacts because that's the difference between like a lead list and a CRM and like you can, you could have an Excel spreadsheet that's a CRM if you're doing it correctly. Uh, I don't suggest it, but like yeah. you can, but it, it involves what you talked about of like keeping track of when you're reaching out to them, what they said, because uh, you can't start from scratch every phone call and you can't ever pass off those contacts to somebody else without that. And then they're, they're starting from scratch you're going to offend somebody if you don't have this <laughs> stuff written down because you can't sure. remember it all. And you're, they're going to be like, yeah, you told me that last phone call. We already had this conversation and I told you no. And you're like, oh shit, right. I was supposed to think of a, a, like, a way to overturn that objection between these right. two phone calls. And I didn't because I didn't remember what their objection was last time. Uh, yeah. So yeah, very important. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Make sure you're taking notes. Um, you know, if you, if you do have a phone call with a, a donor or a media outlet and they say no, make sure you write that down. Um, you know, if I get an email back from media outlet and they're like, hey, you know, either either I've, I've um, changed companies, I'm no longer working here. Here's a new contact. You want to make that note. Um, or, you know, no, that's, you know, not, you know, under my purview, whatever, make that note. Like, so I'm, sometimes I'll just even copy and paste that one line that they've given to me, throw it into notes. Um, but it's good to have something. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you're talking to a donor and they go, oh, you know, I got, I got, uh, I got that brochure or whatever, I'll check out the website, make note of that, you know, circle back with them within like a month or two. And, and it does take, I, I, you know, I've heard, and I've learned that it takes seven touches to finally get someone to give, and it could take. You know, it could take that many um, to finally get someone to give or, or really want to support a campaign. Um, but you just got to keep at it. And yeah, mm -hmm. definitely keep up those notes. Yeah. Yeah. Persistency is definitely key for things like, especially like fundraising or uh, like volunteer director type positions are, you know, you just have to hammer away at these people. Not as much with volunteer positions because you don't want to sell somebody on volunteering because then they're not actually going to volunteer. Uh, I've seen <laughs> right. way too many, I've seen, seen way too many salesmen in volunteer director positions, myself included. Like mm -hmm. I've made that mistake a couple of times. My, I've had a decade of sales experience and then like instantly got thrown into campaigns as like volunteer because I had like middle management experience and they were like, oh, that's the same. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and it kind of is, but yeah. there's a huge difference between employees and volunteers that I did not really grasp for a few years of doing this. And it was like, cause I was so used to being able to, you know, I've always been a nice boss. Um, <laughs> yeah, but at the end of the day, if you don't listen to me, I'm going to fire you. And, and I've never really had, I've only had to do that a few times, but that, th that threat is just lingering always in a workspace and it's not in a volunteer position. It's like, Oh, what are you going to do? Fire me? Like I've heard that from volunteers and it's yeah, like, yeah. I oh. wish, I wish that I yeah. could. Um, and I feel like at the end of the day, you should, uh, fire volunteers that are being shitty and like cut them off from the thing because like a lot of those people are like attention grabbing people that will f actually feel the pain of getting fired from a volunteer position anyway <laughs> yeah yeah but, uh but yeah i think that um it's it's very much important to just like continue to keep up the connection building with people and keep yeah. keep that going because otherwise it's it's just never going to go anywhere no for sure yeah absolutely how how did you how did you get good at peopling? Um, that's a good question. So I think actually, like I said, um, having my mom as a social worker, you know, mm. <laughs> um, but no, I I think I think like I said um, in the beginning, um, being able to listen, having that ability that is that is a tough skill, mm -hmm. especially for libertarians, like we said. You know, um, being able to listen because we love to just, you know, get it all out there. Let me give you all the issues. Let me give you, you know, everything you should know about being a libertarian. And, uh, you know, just being able to, to sit back and say, okay, let me, let me hear you out first. And I'll give you my points and, you know, go from there. Um, but I think over time, I think, again, my 
um, my career in the nonprofit, my degree, I, I, part of my degree is in communication. So I think, you know, that's a huge help. But uh, um, yeah, just over time working in the nonprofit sphere, in the nonprofit world, um, you know, hearing out donors with different passions and, um, and yeah, I mean, just over time, I guess. Yeah. But I think, I think, I think the biggest thing, and I'm going to say it again, is listening. Yeah, that's, it's definitely something that takes practice. And I mean, that's, that's kind of what I get out of the way you answered that was just like a lot of practice and like, you know, a college degree is obviously extremely helpful and in that, but it's, um, I mean, it's just a part of it. Right. And right. More so experience than, mm-hmm. than a degree. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like, um, uh, my sister's degree was, uh, is actually also in communications. And so I like, uh, what, like watched her go through college. She's five years older than me. So I like watched what that entails and thought about it for a little bit. Uh, and I actually kind of decided against it because I was like, I don't want a career in that. And all of the non-career things that she's learning, I already know. And I'm five years younger than her, but I'm just like, I was just like always the more social of the two of us. And she was like, learning how to be me in college is oh. what I felt like as like, as like a really cocky, like 15, uh, or no, yeah. I would have been what, 13 when she was a freshman in college. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I'm already great at making friends. Well, I don't need this. Um, right. And in, in hindsight, I actually kind of wish that I had gone into communications because it ended up being what I did with most of my career with stuff like that. And uh, I would love to get more jobs in it. Um, so, yeah, if you're listening to this and you're still in high school, communications degrees are one of the more useful ones. Not- it's funny. My my degree, actually, I started out, this is why, like, you know, if I, looking back, if I knew that trade schools were even an option, which when you're going to a public New York City high school, they don't want you going to a trade school. They want you to go on, you know, the varsity. They've got it up on their on their wall in the guidance counselor's office. They want you going to the best of the best because it looks good for them. Mm-hmm. And... You know, so I went to college wanting to study drama and music because that's what I was doing in high school. I was in, you know, the shows and whatever, and I loved it. So I was like, why not? And maybe I'll be a teacher in something, whatever. And I remember it was like my first day in one of my drama classes and the professor hands out his resume to everyone. Like one of those, like, you know, SAG after, like he, you know, ones that you put in buckets when you go to these like uh, these uh, conventions to try to mm-hmm. get your resume out there. He was handing them out to us with like his picture on one side, his resume on the other. And he's like, 90% of you will be unemployed with this degree. And I was like, okay, maybe I don't want to do this. Um, so my, I was like, oh my gosh. So my fallback was journalism. Um, and this was, this was the age of when Twitter was getting big and towards the end of, of college, when I learned that like people, you know, they always say like, oh, you need three, three news sources, three reputable news sources for a, a news, news to be true, or, you know, before you start sharing it or spreading around. And once Twitter came out, something we posted once and people go, that's news. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want to be a reporter in all of this. So interestingly enough, the way I got into like doing nonprofit was I went on a birthright trip. And this is a trip for like 18 to 25 year olds. If you're Jewish, you wanna learn about your Jewish heritage, you get to go to Israel for 10 days. 
when I came back and I learned that this trip is funded by, you know, a little bit of the government, um, but mostly donors, I was like, oh my gosh. Hmm. I was like, I want everyone to have this experience. And uh, so I like reached out to them and, and I, I got a job in like the IT department again. I was like working the database. We were working on a Salesforce. Hmm. Um, and uh, I just worked, I was working super, super behind the scenes. And I was like, no, I want to be like out there. I want to be front facing. I want to be like talking to the donors. And again, it just kind of went from there through different nonprofits until finally uh, the LNC, which is in the past, which is fine. But um, but I, I really enjoy, you know, working on a, cam- on a campaign now, working for Mike, and I, I still get to be front facing and talking to people. And, you know, it's something that I'm passionate about. So it, it really it helps. And uh, and yeah, so it just kind of went from there. Awesome. I've like yeah. uh, genuinely considered converting just to go on the birthright trip because I've always wanted to go to Israel. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> I could tell you what to put on the application. <laughs> uh, Tom Pikasov is, and I have talked yes. about it quite a few times. Um, <laughs> because they do, they ask you questions, and they they use if you if you put in certain keywords, they kind of flag it. So if you said if you say things like I've been to church or whatever, they flag those words. Mm. So if you have people who you know are trying to sneak in or whatever, um, or don't really understand the questions and they answer a certain way, they kind of they flag those. So they'll they'll Good find you. But uh, but if you don't use those keywords, eh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but but it is again, it's it's something about Jewish heritage. So like you know if mm-hmm. you're going and you're like oh we're gonna go to Bethlehem like you know. That's not happening. No. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> That's great. I've I've always um my my mom growing up was always like very into the fact that like Judaism is the original like part like she she like we always like very vaguely celebrated like a couple of the more uh popular Jewish holidays and stuff like oh, that. And fun. she was she was very into that. And I honestly I always used to make fun of her and then I got uh career in finance and like everyone that i was working around was jewish and we got like all the jewish holidays off and everything and i started (laughs) learning like yiddish just because i wanted to know whether or not my boss was cursing me at me like to my coworkers or if he was talking nicely about me (laughs) and and now i'm like actually have like a lot more appreciation for the culture uh, than i did Um, as a kid but um yeah yeah i it's it's interesting that you uh, that you mentioned kind of like a a path down into what you're doing and that it really just kind of started from, you know, you were a people person that got passionate about things and like wanted to fight for those things and that's, I think the, I don't know, I think a lot of people just haven't found a thing to be passionate about yet, mm-hmm. and they're not able to really put that kind of drive into something. Uh, because it just doesn't really exist. They're just kind of still running that rat race of that their guidance counselor started them off on of like just yeah. trying to get that the I best agree. resume and the best thing and like that's yeah. uh, I don't know. I've I've not that old yet, so I can't talk. I don't want to talk like some like wise old sage, but like I've yeah. I've definitely w- tried to work for resume points before, and it was not the, it was not the move. <laughs> but yeah. No, um, yeah, I think, you know, and it's kind of going back to that, you know, uh, I love what you do and you have know, work a day in your life thing, mm-hmm. which is something my, my other grandma, my dad's mom used to always say. Um, and it's so funny because I used to quote her. Of course, it's not her quote, but I'd be like, you know, my grandma used to say, quote, <laughs> you know, um, but 
you know, there is something to be said about finding something that you're, you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. Um, true though, if it becomes a job, you could, could lose that passion because it's become work now. It's no longer a Mm. hobby. Um, you know, and like for me, like my, my hobby who, which I, which almost became a career path for me, kind of, it was meteorology. Like I love tracking hurricanes, which now is in Florida. So I'm really excited about that. But, um, you know, it was something where I was like, "Mm, maybe I'll go into that. But, you know, once it started becoming more work and I was actually like, I took a class here and there in college, I was like, "Eh, you know, I'd rather just, you know, do it on my own time and do it as a hobby. Um, but if you're able to hold that passion every day and, and you in, in the end, at the end of that, you know, nine to five day or whatever it is, and you go, you know what, I can wake up and do this again tomorrow. It's going to be okay. You know? (laughs) So I think that's a big part of it. I think you're the only person I've ever met that moved to Florida, like thinking the hurricanes, there was a positive, like selling point (laughs) to going to Florida. I know, I know. It's really bad. No, I I saw something the other day. It was um, something like Floridians are more concerned about love bug season than hurricane season. And that's all you have to know about living in Florida or something like mm. that. Um, yeah. So love bugs are these little bugs that like they stain cars. They can like get, you know, they uh, they stain the cars so that even that the paint comes off. It's like it's really bad. I mean, mostly everyone here has garages, so it's not a big worry. But if you're going for a long drive and you'll see like the stains from these uh, love bugs, it's only around like April, May and then they they die kind of like cicada season in like Maryland and those areas. That's like insane. I've driven through that. Um, but uh, no hurricanes. It's honestly it's like a blizzard in New York. You know, they're prepared. They've got, you know, this, this snow plows going. And here it's just, you know, you put up your shutters. And it's usually not as bad as the media portrays it to be. It's usually just some wind and rain, unless you're like in direct hit of the hurricane. For example, there was that hurricane that was head, originally heading towards Tampa, but it, it shifted last minute and hit Fort Myers. Fort Myers got seriously hit. But just, but here we're like, you don't know it's like 50 100 miles north of fort myers whatever it is um <laughs> my uh, my aunt and uncle who live here they lost like a solar panel and that's it it could make that much of a difference so oh. you know I, I compare it to like a blizzard or you know even a bad nor'easter that new york new york gets those sometimes yeah. um but yeah we'll see we're heading towards hurricane season so yeah. we'll see <laughs> well good luck on that um, yeah, I, I, uh, I definitely, uh, can relate to what you were saying with the kind of losing of the passion. Cause I did that with cooking. Uh, I, I was like, I love to cook. Mm-hmm. I've always loved to cook. Uh, and then I was like, I can, let me go to culinary school. That makes sense. And, uh, I made the, I made a very big mistake of going to culinary school and getting a job at a restaurant at the mm-hmm. same time and I was a bus boy so I wasn't like in the kitchen but it was still I was still in and out of the kitchen and it was it got to the point where like ramen was too much work when I got home at the oh. end of the day because it's just like I don't even want to look at a pot or a pan or a yeah. stove and I was like eating pop tarts for dinner consistently and like I would make a good breakfast because I was fine in the morning but then like by the end of the day I was like so it was it was a very reversed uh diet that ended up being fine but um i just completely like hated cooking towards the end of, and i was like i can't do this anymore and like oh, thankfully i got out of it in time to where i didn't like 
I still love it as a hobby, but I will never, uh, I will never pretend that I want to be like a chef and do that for 10 hours oh, a day. Man. It's just like, it's not the same. Uh, yeah. like doing it for somebody else is a lot different than doing it for yourself. That is a good point. Yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, just um, piggybacking right off of that, fundraising is in a way you're kind of doing it for yourself. And, you know, I would say, um, you know, when you're picking up a phone and, and someone says yes to you, yes to donating, it's it's a really great feeling. Um, it's an even better feeling when they're donating to something that, again, that you're passionate about and you feel good about. Um, so so it is true. If you're doing it for something else, you're doing it for a cause, you're like, eh, you know, whatever. Um, it's definitely different than doing for something that you, you know, you put you're all already into mm -hmm. uh, that someone is giving back to. Yeah. So, which by the way, I don't know, I'm just going off of um, your job at the restaurant, you might appreciate that movie Waiting, I think it's called. Um, check it out. Yeah. Uh, it's a movie that uh, my husband Eric showed me and it's really good. It really makes you appreciate people who work at restaurants. So check that out. I'll definitely, yeah. <laughs> I'll definitely go to do that. Um, yeah. yeah, I feel like for for me, one of the things that uh, I like the fact that most of the time I'm not fundraising for myself because I hate fundraising for myself. Uh, but I I relate I I get what you're saying and it's definitely true. But sometimes the like separation of it, you know, you're not asking please give me money. It's like please give this thing I care about money. Yeah, it's a lot easier, at least for me personally. <laughs> no, for sure. Because again, and um, fundraising, it, it is, it's sales. Um, you're selling yourself first and then you're selling the product or the cause or whatever it is. Um, so it's, it's making sure that you can uh, get on the phone or, or have that initial conversation. And then once the person is like, oh, let me, let me hear you out. Then you can, you know, talk about whatever it is that you're, you're actually selling or fundraising for. Right. Um, so before we wrap up, I want to give you a chance to uh, tell people how to find uh, or donate and get involved with Mike's campaign and then uh, like how to get involved with other campaigns if there's anything else. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I mean, people, you're always welcome to email me. Uh, my email address for Mike's campaign, but really, you know, email me, email me if you have any questions, you want to know more about, you know, fundraising or campaign work or anything, you can email me at Gabrielle at MikeTermott.com. Uh, that's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. I'm not sure if it's right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Mike Termott, that's M-A-A-T, not M-A-T-T. -T. So um, yeah, feel free to, to shoot me an email uh, and you can go to Mike's website. That's MikeTermott.com. Um, you know, read, read his platform and everything. He's got, he's got some real solutions. If you go to goldnewdeal.org, um, and yeah. And if you liked what you see, please, uh, support the campaign. You can go to miketermottcom slash donate. Uh, but, uh, you know, feel free to have a conversation with me first. If you have any questions about, about his campaign or you'd like to get involved, I'm, I'm happy to, to answer them and answer any questions or hear you out. Awesome. Yeah, yeah guys, definitely. Go check out all of those things that she said. The Gold New Deal is actually like one of the one of the better like policy platform like 
put put together that I've seen from any of the candidates in recent memory. So like, I love the fact that I like the fact that it's on a d- different website too and has like kind of its own brand thing. That that part's really fun. Uh, but yeah, if you go to uh, lp.org slash candidates, you can find a list of every candidate that at least the LNZ knows about uh, <laughs> right there <laughs> and find one near you. Uh, like Abby said, uh, find something local that is uh, like super doable. Uh, you know, it's it's a lot easier to run a town council uh candidates calendar than it is to run like a, a presidential candidates calendar so uh start local but uh thank you so much for watching and definitely come back next week we have uh the bootleg libertarian coming on to talk about what they're doing in tennessee and then uh, i mentioned it a little bit earlier on the 30th we're doing a fight club with so far there are four confirmed in a maybe uh presidential candidates uh for 2024 so come on back check that out gabby thank you so much for coming on this was great thank you david yeah this was fun thank you so much my pleasure uh again thanks for watching and uh, until next time keep up the fight